Welcome to Take Flight Podcast with Daniel Johnson, Olu Okanola, Pabilo Timbo, and Shiwal Ahmed as your host. Take Flight Podcast is released weekly, giving you behind-the-scenes business views into multiple industries, as well as highlighting backstories of entrepreneurs, leaders in their respective spaces. We will also break down business models, examining the latest trends in businesses, and sharing our learnings along the way. Take Flight Podcast is a university business class package for a diverse and inclusive audience. We blend this together for a unique and exciting look into the world of business. Join us, your hosts, who come from underrepresented backgrounds in the UK, have since worked and traveled to over 100 countries, learned our crafts, in some of the largest companies in the globe. Started our own companies as well as invested across multiple asset classes as we give our unique and inclusive perspective with a mission to help our potential flyers get ready to take flight. Since it started in 2019, Take Flight Podcast has grown to have listeners in over 50 countries. It is in the top 5% of podcasts globally and continues to grow and expand. Come and join a growing community available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. Take care and take flight. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, episode number 128. Now, this episode is a Take Flight Talks episode where we interview thought leaders sharing with us their journey and expertise on how they've been able to take flight in their respective arena. Now, in case you've missed any of our previous interview episodes, where have you been? Now, we've interviewed experienced leaders from various industries, from healthcare to nonprofit organizations, as well as entrepreneurs from the real estate space to the music industry. So make sure to check them out. But back to today, we have a very, very special guest with us, Andy Ayim, a gentleman of many talents, such as being a creator, founder, thinker, business builder, and investor, and who is best known for his work advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech, with his deep belief in the importance of role models in business looking more representative of a wider society. Now, today, Andy is the founder of the Angel Investing School with a vision to get more women and people of color investing in startups to create economic value and close the the racial wealth gap. The school does this by delivering first-class coaching, training, and community. Now, as well as this, Andy is an angel investor himself, where his behavior is no different, investing in gap-closing companies looking to solve problems for people and the planet. Now, in the past, Andy has consulted with international companies on how to set up and scale agile product management teams. He was also previously managing director at Backstage Capital, a co-founder of Mixtape Madness with his brother and friends, and has been on the advisory board for London Tech Week 2020, Black Tech Fest, One Tech, as well as other organizations. Now, guys, if that all isn't impressive enough, then we have something else for you. Andy has also been voted as top 10 BAME leader in tech by none other than the Financial Times. And as well as this, has been recognized by the Royal Family in the UK, 
in 2021 with a Queen's Honours MBE medal in recognition for his contribution for diversity and technology in the UK. Now, in this exciting episode, we, we will be discussing Andy's journey from where he started to becoming who he is today, digging deeper into his why for angel investment, understanding the economics behind it, and a lot of other recommendations for you flyers out there looking to take flight. Now, let's hit the music and start the episode. Before we continue, I think we need to give Andy a round of applause. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, honestly, the question was, I mean, Andy, how does it feel yeah, when, when someone goes through your bio like that, right? Like, it's, it's what There's, is it? There are three things, three things. One, you're so professional, I need to take you on tour with me. <laughs> Second is, do you know what? It's so beautiful, yeah? As a human, I feel like, I feel like we're, we're all we're all created to have shared experiences and we're never born to be lonely. So to see you smile and to see some of the smiles that were coming on your faces, it touched me. And, and, and it's hard to describe that feeling when it's like, oh, they're proud. Oh, they're, you know, there's a, a part of me that's listening. I'm like, they're going to think I'm 60 years old. So you can't, you can't tell them I'm still, I'm still pretty young. Um, but no, it's humbling. It's humbling, honestly. And I just feel like I'm getting started like a lot of you, like, like you're my peers, you're my inspiration as well. But, we're all connected on this journey. So it's really humbling to hear that intro and it excites me that we can connect in this way on this platform and share more of what we do with others. Love it. Love it. No, Andy, I mean, as you can, as you've already mentioned so beautifully, like you can see from all our smiles, we're all excited to to have you on here. And for those of you who are listening and maybe not watching this, we 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 can confirm Andy is of a similar age to us. So he's not some six-year-old. He's just done a lot in that in that time. Um exactly. but Andy, some some of the listeners, they would have obviously heard that intro and they've they rightly rightly so, they are very impressed. But how how would you explain your journey from from your perspective, just to kick us off to hear it from from your own side? Yeah. So firstly, like to start this journey off, this podcast is very different to other podcasts I've done because like there's people such as Pablo who have been on this journey with me for over a decade because like, I remember being in the library at Brunel University with Pablo and it's the same mindset that I see in individuals like Pablo that has just compounded today to where he is. It's not a surprise. And I think he would say the same with myself. And I think when I look at the background and the context of my journey, I'm, I'm the son of immigrant parents who sacrificed the life they knew in Ghana to provide opportunity for their children here in the UK. It's a, it's a journey that a lot of us can relate to. And from a young age, I was very fortunate in that I just saw, I saw the privilege that I had inherited and I didn't want to take it for granted. I saw there was an opportunity with education in the UK. I saw there was access to opportunity if you play your cards right in this, in this country. And, and when I look at my brothers who are both entrepreneurs and both in interesting spaces now, they've just followed that same playbook. Like we're born in the UK, we're really grateful because we know our cousins back in Ghana haven't got the access to opportunity that we do, even though they have high potential as well. So we're going to make the most of it here. And guess what the unique thing is about the UK is the social capital you can gain from networking. It's not actually just the education and qualifications. It's if you can connect with the right circles and the right people and you're a likable person, guess what? They can open doors for you and it can lead to amazing opportunities. And as I go through my story, as we have this podcast today, I think you're going to hear a lot more about relationships and the value of nurturing long-term relationships. So we're probably going to return to that subject as we tell the story today. Perfect. I think maybe one uh, quick question, just based on what you were just saying there, Andy, in terms of the that that switch of looking at relationships and how 
uh, this has provided the social capital and opening doors. Was there a particular moment early on that this triggered for you, or is this just an understanding that you've had from a, from a younger age? I feel like there's there's two fundamental things I got from each of my parents. From my mum, I got faith. And faith is important because it kept me grounded and it's kept me humble to today because I've always accepted that it's not just me at work here. There's something greater that's at work. The other thing that faith did is it, it told me that we all have something special in us and it's this ability to create because we were made in the image of God. And God, the first story he tells in the Genesis story in the Bible is the creation story. So actually our will is to create. So once we can create, we can create marvelous things. And one of the inventions, for example, that I marvel at till today and I just... I love it's the aeroplane. It's the fact that metals bended around man and woman and used to transport people from one part of the planet to another. It's incredible. So our ability to create really, for me, stems from this faith base that I had. But then my father was someone who had so many ideas when I was younger and as a child. And he became a cab driver and never really pursued his ideas. But in doing that, he was very good with relationships. And back in the day, when you're a cab driver, it was different to Uber today. You had relationships with your clients. So he would tell me about, you know, Mr. Name Master, who's a doctor, and his children became doctors, and they were all Asian, and they live in Finchley. Or Ray Goodchild, who's an architect, who at 14 I went to do work experience with, who introduced me to a whole new world. Or this Nigerian lawyer who my brother did uh, work experience with, who was a millionaire and lived in Chelsea and Kensington. And what that did that was so profound was it expanded my horizons and my borders. I didn't feel like a postcode prisoner in Tottenham. Mm -hmm. I felt like there's a life beyond my postcode. And that was so important for me to see at that young age. Or else I would have got caught up. I would have thought, I'm going to be like my man down the road, who's my role model and who I look up to, who has the cars, who dresses well and has the girls, and he raps too. So however, I have to be a rapper or footballer. But no, I went into business and I did something different because my mind was open from a young age. And that's why for me, like, if you don't see, you can't believe it sometimes. Some people really undervalue what it means to have relevant role models that you can look up to, that look like you, that you can relate to from the same faith base or the same race or the same social economic background. It's so important. And I feel like part of my message and part of my, I guess, purpose here on this earth is to connect with people and to connect people together. And to be a role model allows me the privilege to do that. So getting things like the MBE, really and truly, the only thing that it really helps me do is, is to connect us that role model to say, hey, mm. Tottenham, I did that for you. Hey, mm. young black kid, that's that candy who has potential. Yeah, you don't actually have to necessarily be a musician or, or a footballer or an athlete. You can actually get into business. This is what I did. And it's that avenue where you can really break down the vulnerabilities, connect with someone emotionally and inspire them. That's really special, you know. And we all got that ability, you know. And, and like I shared at the beginning, like this podcast as a platform is probably touching so many people who are not leaving a comment or not leaving feedback, but are sharing it with their friends and having conversations that they wouldn't have otherwise if not for the platform. Andy, it's great. I think you shared some real gems in, you know, the last couple of minutes. And, you know, even just trying to digest it now is it's quite difficult. I'm certainly going to have to listen to this back. Uh, I think it's also great that you've had two sorts of guiding principles from your parents that have mm. steered and sort of piloted into the man that you are today. And, you know, we know you've had we've had a wealth of experience, a plethora of experience in your you know years to date. But how has the transition been to becoming a full time investor and creator? And what have been the challenges and also what has surprised you positively in, in your in your in your view? I think the biggest challenge for me was I never knew my worth. So sometimes if we're not financially in a place, 
we doubt our, our worth because we attach it to financially how much we're earning or to the job that we have, the job title, or to the institution that we're in. And what we don't realize is that that's a limiting factor. That's actually just one way that you express yourself in a job. So Andy, I am as a product manager for company X is one expression of myself. But a full, of, a full expression of myself is me creating, me investing, me loving. And it's not a job role. A job role doesn't actually like recapture it very well. Mm-hmm. It just captures one expression. And sometimes we tie our, tie our values to the wrong things because of that. You know, so growing up, I was mentioning what I was surrounded by and a lot of my value was tied to material things because that's what I saw around me as success at that time. So I had to unlearn and detach myself from those things that I learned. And and that means sometimes even changing my friendship circle Mm -hmm. when I was growing up in order to change my my environment so that I could elevate my mentality. I said to someone when I was on holiday, actually, a, a week ago, that when you look across the beach and you see where the sky touches the ocean to some people it looks like they're actually touching and the sun's actually coming out of the ocean but it's perspective and the more you travel the more you learn the more you realize that it never meets it just looks like that horizon from the beach and that's how opportunity is when you know your self-worth you start to elevate your perspective and look above the ocean to really understand that there's so much more at play and that's where I am in today in this space as a full expression of myself as a creator as an investor I know that I can generate the income I need for my family to be okay. Mm. And I can really serve from a place of love to help people and serve people. And that's a special place that I'm in because I know mm. there's so many people that seek to unlock purpose, seek to unlock self-awareness and really struggle to get there and feel like, oh, I have to do this job in order for me to do these other things that I love on the side, like this podcast or like this going to the gym or like this. But actually all of those things are revolving around work. It's like, I'll have to go to the gym at 6 a.m. because work has got... Oh, I have to do this podcast at 6 p.m. because work has got, and it's, work becomes the son of your universe. I know I'm speaking for some time here, but I'm going to land. <laughs> no, no, me, please continue, continue, continue. Yeah, take your time, Andy. Take your time, take your time. <laughs> for me, what was really pivotal, what was pretty pivotal was, was, it was two things, actually. One thing in understanding that, like, God's ultimate definition to me is love. God is love. So for me to express love from one man to another is quite alien to some people, but actually that's a full expression of myself because that's what I made from, right? So, so when we connect to that level, it can be vulnerable, it can be scary, but only then can we truly connect and understand your values, how you think, how you really feel, so we can start talking about the truth, our fears, our anxieties, like what's holding us back. This conversation we're having now around my biggest challenge, like mm. if, I was, if, I was, if I was a fake version of myself, I would have told you a lie and just, just, just really like told a one minute answer of this, of this uh, answer to this question. The second thing that I realized is that when I made my family the center of my universe, because I had a daughter and I suddenly had to be selfless. I didn't have a choice because she has to survive with us as parents. So when they became the son of my universe, I realized I had to change my lifestyle design. I wanted to be present as a father. I didn't want to be absentee. It meant that I I couldn't be as ambitious as I wanted to on the career ladder that I was on, but I had to accept that. And in accepting that, what it reminded me of was there's a book by an author called David Brooks. He's a New York Times columnist. It's called Second Mountain. And he says, when you ascend that first mountain, it's all about the self. Like, I want to go higher in my career. I want to earn more money. I want to become more and reach my peak. Right. The Kanye documentary is really good at this analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. And then when you become a second mountain person, you often experience some sort of descent, a humbling experience. For me, that's when my dad passed away. He passed mm-hmm. away when I was 25. 
it was a, it, I didn't know where I was. It was a humbling experience. It made me think broader around being my most authentic self and 100% myself and not 60% myself in this workplace. So then in descending, I have the opportunity to ascend the second mountain where I can be more selfless, where I can be in service to something bigger than myself. And in doing that, I can't describe to you how I didn't see all of the steps ahead of me, but somehow God has provided. Somehow I'm financially abundant, more abundant than I've ever been. Somehow I've got the property. Somehow I'm still doing the investment. Somehow I'm still the role model. And that's where, and this is really tricky for some people, but when you have a vision, when you have a vision and that vision starts with only you believing in it to suddenly others believe in it. And this is what the Kanye documentary is so good at. It's like when you have conviction over your vision, it's indescribable how the, the resources and the universe and, and everything just comes in to support you and to make it happen. Mm. And the thing about vision is there's a gap. It's like, I can see this for myself, but this is where I am today. I can't see the in-between, but there's something called faith, which I need to rely on the same way I can't see Jesus. I need to rely on this faith. I need to believe in something bigger than myself to materialize and for it to happen. You know, and I think some people get confused when they think about goal setting. Like, I need to know all of the pieces for me to set the goal. That's not true. Because when I set that goal of becoming fit in the gym, I don't see no difference when I go for a week. I see the mm. difference when I go for six months, you know, but it's that belief. And then you get career confidence, isn't it? I've gone for six months. I'm looking like Daniel. So I need to go for another <laughs> six months, you know? You get that career confidence over time when you've, when you've achieved wins, when you achieve mm. success. You're like, yeah, I can do more of that. Actually, because I've done that in the past, I can do more of it. The hard thing is trying to like create this into a child or into someone who's just starting their career like a graduate because they haven't got that track record. They haven't got that history. So they may not believe it to be true for themselves. So that's a five minute verbiage for me. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's some value in the answer there. Of course. No, and I think, Andy, there's so much that we're going to unpack in that uh, throughout this episode. Um, I'm, I'm going to come to, to sort of the, the, the question that we, we've queued up. Um, we've heard from the bio, right? You've already got such a decorated um, career so far. And as you've been going on your journey, at some point, you decide to sort of sharpen your focus and say, my space where I'm going to have impact um, is that angel investing. Right. Mm. And so it's a little bit to understand kind of why angel investing for you, maybe mm. versus sort of venture capitalist um, groups or spaces. And then within that value chain, what's the space that you enjoy creating and the value the most? Mm. OK, so in 2015, I had this unique opportunity where I was with a really small startup consultancy called Elixir. There was around 25 people in that company at the time. They actually IPO'd and floated on the AIM market uh, two years ago. And I was in South Africa working on a, a range of different consulting projects with FS clients, financial services clients, like Investec Bank and Standard Bank. And then one of the partners at the firm had an idea to start a new strategic outpost out in San Francisco. And they knew I was really enthusiastic about entrepreneurship and tech. I was blogging at the time. I spoke about it all the time. I geeked out on, on tech stories. So I flew out there with this partner. And if you know how the partners work in a consultancy firm, they usually spread on a number of accounts. So they're selling and closing. So they never spend just uh, all of their time on a single account. So that partner will be out in San Francisco for maybe three or four days or a week. Then they'll fly to their next client, maybe in Germany or in the UK. So I was effectively out there for seven months where that partner was flying in and out. And our job was to basically connect with venture capitalists out in San Francisco and to build an outpost that would allow us to sell um, 
allow us to fly corporates out from Africa and the UK to San Francisco, experience some of the emerging technologies there from drones to machine learning, then connect them with relevant portfolio companies and startups who can help solve their problems. So for example, Barclays Africa might come out to San Francisco for a week. We teach them about emerging technologies. We pair them with certain startups that can solve their problem. Like I can't see a single view of the customer across my marketing department, my customer services and my product department. So we don't know how many times we're like messaging the same customer. So you might say, here's Intercom. You can help you see a single view of the customer across all of your departments and understand who's messing that customer at what frequency, at what time. And we'll pair them up, then do a proof of concept with them. And if they work well together, they'll procure services from that startup. And it's really a win-win business because on the one hand, we're scouting innovation for these corporates who are learning how to work like a startup, but also procuring services from startups that are solving their problems, as well as teaching them how to procure services from a startup rather than a corporate, very different process. But then the startups loved it because we're giving them a badge of one of their first international clients, mm -hmm. right? These are US-based startups usually or UK-based startups. So for them to get that reach, it was a win-win for both parties. So the VCs were loving it because we'll bring in clients to their startup portfolio. So long story short, that business really took off. And that business earns millions for Elixir today. And it's part of that story that helped them float on the AIM market. And Elixir today is probably around 30 million in revenue per year. So they've grown a lot actually and acquired a lot. But it was a privilege to be an entrepreneur and to start that business with an Elixir. But that exposed me to this world of venture capital, capital because I was gaining almost like a fast track MBA from the VCs that are sitting at, at their tables, like Sequoia, Greylock Partners, Andreessen Horowitz, Lightspeed Ventures. And if you Google these names, you'll see that their portfolio is literally the internet and all of our apps on our phone. And <laughs> yeah. to answer specifically why angel investing, when I learned that 0.2% of black women were getting VC capital or less than 0.3% of people of color, Asian or black, were getting venture capital money, there was something wrong in that system. And what I realized was we, like solving that at the VC level was the wrong level to solve that problem. Because often when you start a company for the first time, you go to what we call friends, families, and fools. <laughs> Your first <laughs> round of funding. But if you come from sometimes uh, a working class background, for example, you may not have a network of wealth. My dad was a cab driver. My mom was a, mini was a, was a nursery nurse. Right, they don't have fifty thousand or a hundred thousand to invest into my startup. No, actually, life is about survival when you come to those people. So, if you don't have access to a network of capital, it becomes hard to fund your initial runway to experiment and find a business that works, which is what you're really trying to do when you start a startup. Okay, you have an idea, you've got a, a hypothesis that you want to test. You want to try and experiment and discover if you can figure out a repeatable, scalable business model that works. And the reason this is really important is because when I was out in San Francisco, I was learning about stories about founders like Kevin Systrom, the founder of Instagram. Mm. And he went to Stanford and he said on his Masters of Scales podcast with Reed Hoffman that I don't know why this angel investor invested $100,000 into my startups. The reason that angel got even access to Kevin was because he was alumni in Stanford. That access to that network of wealth. If not for that $100,000, Kevin would never have listened to his wife, who said, forget your initial app bourbon, double down on the images, which is what pivoted into Instagram. Now, if we zoom out of that story for a second, when there's a black founder that's bootstrapping, they're thinking about their next sale and making money so they can survive. When there's Kevin Sistrom, who's not thinking about that pressure because I've got $100,000 in my bank, what he has is runway peace of mind, the financial stability and the financial safety net to experiment and try things out 
to figure out something that works. And that vital difference is what inspired me to say, I've got to solve this problem so we can give people like us more of an opportunity to try this game of entrepreneurship, yeah. you know? And it, does, it doesn't matter to me if that becomes a unicorn or succeeds or it's the opportunity to try an equal opportunity to try, which was really important for me then. And it's just, it, it is still important for me today. So I hope that explains it and makes sense why I said I focus on angels rather than VC because the problem is more is more primary and early stage than when you get to that VC where the pipeline is pretty much defined for you. Who made it to that stage? Andy, on that story, I think it would be great for our listeners. I think one of the great things you mentioned was that partner selected you for this particular opportunity because they saw your interest in the space mm. and everything that you're doing around the blogs. So can you talk about like that early days of writing those blogs, getting that knowledge, getting that experience? Because that wasn't part of your day job. That was something you were passionate about. Mm. And I'm sure you weren't getting paid from those blogs initially. But yeah, you so you're something real good right now. Yeah. So why don't you talk about that element? Because I think that would be great for our listeners. I love this, you know, because the quality of your question is going to be the quality of this conversation. That was a great double click. So if I look back to why I started blogging, oh, I love that you asked this question. I, in 2020, in 20, no, in, in 2010, I went back back into South America. I remember all of my friends were saying, Andy, that's not a black thing to do. You're going to get killed. What are you doing? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and in that experience, was similar to what I said around my dad introduced me to new networks. I realized that actually me traveling wasn't just me traveling. I was traveling for so many other people. And I started an email list to my friends to share like, oh, I did the, the Inca Trail for four days camping on a mountain. And I went and saw this thing called Machu Picchu. Here's the picture. And they got to travel through my lens. So when I was out in San Francisco, I said, you know what? I'm going to start blogging. One, because I want to improve my written literature skills. because I felt at the time it weren't great. But second, because I want to share tra translatable stories that they can understand about what I'm experiencing out here. Mm. So I'm learning things like failure is a badge of honor. And actually to fail is really to learn. And that's the startup philosophy out in san francisco so i'd ride back home hey guys like to fail is to not, not it's not really failing it's, it's learning we're, we're focusing on learning when we're starting experiments it eases the pressure of us don't see yourself as a founder just see yourself as a researcher you're doing research i started translating these things in easy to understand language for my friends back home that's what inspired me to start blogging the reason i continued is because i started to get feedback loops hey andy i didn't know about your millionaire and how he moved from rap, from rapping and singing Riding Dirty to angel investing into Maker Studio, which got acquired by Disney for $800,000. Wow, he's making more music from tech than he made from music. Oh, and Snoop Dogg's investing as well. And Nas, wow, Andy, your blogs, they're really interesting. All right, let me start a newsletter because I can't be emailing everyone that's emailing me about this. So I started a newsletter. And in the newsletter, it was about minorities in tech in the US and in the UK. And then it started becoming blogs reaching out to me. Can you guest write for our blog, like Blavity and like uh, Urban Geeks out in, in, in Philadelphia? And slowly the momentum started to... And the funny thing about the blogging is the first 50 are embarrassing. If I look back at the type, <laughs> like, it's embarrassing. But, you, know what, it's, you know what that reminds us of? Our podcast. If you go back to episode one, <laughs> two, three, we were probably cringy. That, that's part of the journey. That's part of the journey. That's part of the story. It's beautiful part of the story. And that consistency 
consistency is a strength. And this is what I've realized. Not everyone, not everyone's got it in them. But when you're consistent at something, like over a number of months and then years, there's something relentless about that where it's like there's not many that can compete with you at that thing because not many are willing to do that for that length of time. So when I was blogging back then, like not many people were sharing stories about diversity and people in tech and whatnot. And when I'm blogging now, there's a lot more people talking about it, but my, my content still holds true because people have been along the journey or can can go and search about the old stories that I was telling that are coming to surface today, like Tope and Calendly and what he's doing now. I wrote about him in 2017, you know? So like, it, it, I'm so proud of the back catalog that I have now that mm. contributes to the stories mm. that I can tell today. Love it. Love it. Uh, Andy, a, a question. Um, one of the things that is it's a, it's a theme that runs through your work. And if you're list, if people are listening to this podcast, they can pick it up. Um, um, if you sort of read and listen between the lines, one of the things that you do exceptionally well is you, you help the groups that we're talking about, the, lo- the sort of middle to lower class, to reframe the way they think about themselves, to understand that mm. what they have and where they've come from is enough of an advantage to win in those spaces, right? Absolutely. And so I, I've, I've, I've heard you speak about this before, where you try mm. to get people to understand wherever you're from, from the roads or from certain situations, you, ha- you are enough. You've got mm. enough to be able to sort of compete at winning those spaces can you maybe speak to a little bit as to that mindset and getting people to sort of maybe tell themselves a different story right Mm. that come from let's say the ends right and Mm. and don't believe that they can actually maybe compete at that level with certain investors but they can they've got the traits so so can you speak a little bit to that and kind of how you've sort of advised that over the years yeah absolutely so I think the first thing sometimes that we need to look back to is is what is the context that is shaping our worldview? Okay. So for me, growing up in Tottenham initially, my worldview was shaped by the friends and, and people that I saw around me. It's only when I started reading actually personal development books, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Les Brown, the classics, up to E.T., the hip-hop entrepreneur, like to Inky Johnson. To, it's only when I started taking that content in on YouTube and on, on the books that I started to reframe my mind and detach myself and unlearn from what I previously held to be true so that I could learn something new to replace that. And it's a humbling journey. And this is why things like traveling and backpacking help because it puts you in a different physical environment. So it allows you to what I call with my friends, go to the mountains and spend time doing that introspection and learning more about yourself. And when you do that work, you start to understand like, what do I actually believe? What do I actually value? If you ask people today, like, like ask just five of your, your people at work, co- colleagues, like, what are your core values? What are your core principles? Um, uh, 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 what's the company values? The company values are on the website. So you're adhering to company values, and those values are shaping your values because there's a gap because you have no values. You've not done the work. And and only when you get into a space in life where I think there's a, a desperation or hunger, like I said, second mountain people, do you start to say, do you know what? I'm in the wilderness. I, I want to figure this stuff out. And for me, when I had a child and I was getting invited to speak at events, to, to attend events, to network, and I created a value called two and five. It's like two evenings a week. I'll go and do whatever, whether it's socializing with friends, playing football, speak at an event, go and network. But five evenings a week, I'm at home with my daughter regardless so that that trade-off doesn't matter if there's seven invites if there's one invite that week if there's no regardless that value 
governs my behavior and, and helps me make smart decisions on a consistent basis. I stick true to that. And what inspired people at the beginning, I believe when I spoke about values a lot is the fact that they didn't have values and they've never done the work to think deeply about their own values. But if we don't do that for ourselves, what we not, start to notice is that we start getting influenced and shaped by the world around us. If you don't have a career plan for yourself, your company will create a plan for you and drag you for the ranks to what they need you to do and what they need you to be. If you have a career plan, it becomes mutually beneficial because you're giving them value, but you're also in exchange receiving a lot of value. And what we need to reframe with work is that you're literally getting paid to learn and network. Oh my gosh, like what a <laughs> privilege that is. You're getting to learn about this industry, learn about this technology, learn about business etiquette. You can go and, if you want, interview someone in HR, learn about HR fully. Interview someone in sales, learn about it fully. Interview someone in marketing. You get the core concepts of, of how to build a business and you're getting paid. Come on, guys. Like, yeah, do, you not, do you not see that? that so why am I going to risk my life selling drugs, getting stabbed, getting shot? For the risk of making a few thousand pounds or going to jail or losing my life. No, the economics are not worth it. The risk mm. and return of that life versus tra transferable skill that I can take into being a trader. Sell low, sell high. All right, cut the units into, all right, so what that share price, it's the same skill set or being an entrepreneur. Like, like, I don't have to be, as an entrepreneur, looking after clients at 2 a.m. at this bus stop, which is real cold, at risk of police maybe taking me out <laughs> and stinking of the thing that I'm saying. I don't have to do that as an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, with the age of the internet that we're in, there's so much in our fingertips, even online. I could start a podcast today, do it for five years, and it earns me income. I could start a YouTube channel, it can earn me income. It can, I can sell stuff on eBay. Can, like, the age that we're in, I'm like, this is a no-brainer if you have access and the privilege to have access to opportunity. And that's where, when I think of like the brothers and sisters that are in the flavelas in Brazil or the Soweto and the ghettos of South Africa or in Ghana in the slums or in India or in Pakistan, they don't have access to opportunities. But you know how hungry some of those mm. people are? Like if only they had access to opportunity. You think they're taking it for granted, like some of us took it for granted being here in London or New York or in San Francisco. You know, and for me, like, it, you can hear the passion I'm speaking with, like, of course, I, I don't want to leave no stone unturned. I really want people to, I really want people to, to, to understand the opportunities that we have here. For sure. And I, I think Andy is, which all of us are doing is representation, right? Now mm. they're getting to see people that look like them in spaces that they didn't know were possible. Mm. And I, I love the fact that you're reaching out and pulling everyone forward. I think that mm. is... Like I've we went to the same university and knew of you. I've looked at your content. I've I've read your blogs. I've seen you on social media. But just listening to you on this podcast, you're a remarkable person, and you're just motivating me. And I'm sure you're motivating a lot of our listeners. Now, in terms of sort of you mentioned social media and sort of that breaking the boundaries in terms of the outreach and the millions of people you're able to reach. When you think about social media, if that's through sort of LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok now, all these different, what are you excited about in the investing in your industry when it comes to sort of the opportunity that you're able to reach millions of people on these social media platforms? I'll, I'll tell you what I'm scared of, and then I'll tell you what I'm excited of. What mm. I'm scared of is information overload and people mm. lacking the critical skills to analyze what is truth and what's not truth. 
what's 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 fake news what's real news what is content that feeds me versus content that's actually like corrupting my mind and in the age that we're in with the abundance of information on the internet that is the real risk you know so i could listen to you guys and learn how to invest in property like my man pablo loves talking about <laughs> but i could listen to someone who's actually running a pyramid scheme and a scam and talking about a quick flip and investing in property <laughs> and in this day and age it's the hardest thing for people to like in schools we need to treat we need to teach this as a skill it's really important like how can i critically analyze and understand what is real and what's fake? What information I should take in, what I should filter out. We are quite unique as a generation because we were born in a generation where the internet was just taken off. So we grew with it and we shaped it. So we get it a little bit more. But the generation coming up that are the digital natives, they, they were born onto TikTok. Like literally some of their parents put them onto Instagram when they were babies. <laughs> right? so they've, like, like some of them are born into this and they, they are struggling sometimes the skills to decipher the truth from not. The thing that I'm most excited about is that all of us in this world have a tribe and now the internet allows us to find our tribes. There's a great blog by a guy called Kevin Keller, Kelly. It's called a thousand true fans. All of us, it doesn't matter the niche. You could be talking about blue cigars. You can find a thousand people online who love blue cigars and create a community and a, a tribe around that. Or you can go and join an existing tribe around that because the internet democratizes access to information and to people and to communities. And that's what I love most about it. That's what excites me most about technology, that democratization of access. So when I look at the angel invested market, the same thing has been true. Angel investing 20 years ago was, was reserved for the privileged. You have to be very wealthy and a founder that exited for multi-millions or an investment banker, a wealthy high net worth individual that inherited property from parents to be able to invest into startups. Today, you could use platforms like AngelList and Odin to invest as little as a thousand pounds into each deal that you do and build a portfolio of startups that way. It's democratizing access to, 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 to asset classes across the board as well as information. And that's what excites me most about the internet, that opportunity. And social media allows me to connect with my tribe. So I know for a fact, even as an entrepreneur today, in the business that I'm building, the angel investing school, I have a long tail of customers that will never run out because I know how to reach them through the internet. And I haven't even started my YouTube page yet. I haven't even started my TikTok yet. How exciting <laughs> it is when I do start them. You know, I think the hardest thing for, we're gonna run out of time today. That's how that's how good this conversation. No, no, let's continue. <laughs> it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be that way. Continue, Andy, please. One one of the one of the things that is hard for any individual to accept is when I ask the question, like, what would you love to become if I was to pay you one hundred and fifty thousand pounds every year, guaranteed for the next ten years? What would you love to do with your time? It's a hard question to answer, and then my follow up question is usually. Okay, it's a game of inches. How can we start today? Mm. It's very hard because it means starting a commitment to a long journey. It may work out, it may not. There's definitely going to be lessons along the way, but are you willing? And sometimes when I look back, being the first to do certain things on my journey, like I realized looking back, it took courage, but I didn't see it that way when I was going through it. I was so led by passion, by the love to serve, by being in service to others that I was just going through it. But I realized that it took courage because it was so lonely. There wasn't peers that I could bounce things off or ask questions to or to ask for advice at the time. You know, now I have a network where it's a lot easier. But back then, it was a very lonely journey. Oh, how are people going to receive me after I say this thing about being black in the UK, which is a conservative country? Mm -hmm. This ain't the US. How am I going to be received? 
you know, fortunately it played out. I got received, I got an MBE, but, but it could have gone two ways, but I was willing to take the risk because it mattered that much to me. And now we get into that territory where we talk about legacy. Like anyone that leaves a legacy, legacy is the thing that we leave behind that, that surpasses our time here on earth, right? I might live to 60, I might live to 17. My legacy could be here for hundreds of years. My money might not be, my material things might not be, my investments might not be, my laptop might not be, but my legacy will be. So what gift are we leaving other people so that that legacy outlives our time here on earth? It's difficult questions, but these are important questions we need to be speaking about more regularly. Andy, uh, I mean, <laughs> man, you're dropping so much wisdom on this podcast. I hope the listeners at home are appreciating this as much as we are right now. And I think talking about legacy, maybe, who knows, 100 years from now, there's someone in your family that's listening to you, your your um, daughter's grandchild or daughter's daughter or son or whatever. And they're listening back to this thing. And you know what? My, my grandfather, Andy, was was really one of those, was really one of those. Um, but, you know, just to, but just to build on this theme that we're discussing around legacy, around progress, around having that courage to take that first step. I think 2010 was a different space to where we are in 2022, even 2022. Mm. And I think, as Oli mentioned, we're all here representatives trying to change the conversation within our cultures and collectively bring a bigger change. But from mm. what you've seen, especially in the angel investing space or any of the other spaces that you're in, do you see that progress is being made beyond just talking what we hear about on social media, but really action and funding going behind that? How's the progress behind the curtain? Not enough. Not enough is the true answer because um, I think after George Floyd, there was a real pivotal moment with George Floyd happening and COVID at the same time, the world went into this kind of reflective state where suddenly certain people were aware that racism is still an issue. And there was a lot of tokenistic as, as a result. Oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to have office hours or I'm going to put money towards this cause. And what they were doing was transactions rather than nurturing long-term relationships to solve a systemic problem. This problem is not one single institution. It's not one institution that can solve or individual. It's systemic. And with systemic issues, we need to get to the core of the problem to really unlearn and undo things to work for multiple generations to solve that issue. And it's scary because when you think about the nature of the world and governments, governments have a, a short year tenure. Every three years, they get elected back into government. So then their strategic plans are short term in nature. And it depends on their investors who funded their campaigns, who influences what they do. And the world runs on the same kind of treadmill. Like, actually, we're very short term. We're very think we're thinking a lot about instant gratification. So it becomes hard to solve longer term systemic problems. And that's why I get really excited when I hear about founders solving problems to do with climate change or problems to do with eradicating cancer. Like, and I, I invest in gap closing companies, companies that close gaps in the planet and people and with people in society. And it's those problems that are being solved that are the problems that are worth solving. And that's why I'm so privileged to be invested in the future and investing in the future of the world that's going to be here when I'm not here. And that's the privilege we have. And I think for us to make like real progress, especially as working class people that have gone into middle class now, we need to understand that with that economic empowerment, we're no longer shackled to a single institution or a single title, but we can be so much more and we can do so much more with not only our capital, but our networks and our skills to make a contribution to society. And that's what excites me about supporting angel investors. Mm -hmm. Like I talk about investing in people who invest in others. That investing in people section is so important because that's talking about the mentality and having the right, uh, uh, spirit of service in leveraging your skill set and your networks to do good for others beyond the capital that you invest. So I could invest one thousand pounds into your startup, 
but I could also introduce you as a B2B startup into Coca-Cola and Novartis, and those two clients allow you to get the traction you need and the revenue you need to grow your business. That £1,000 was immaterial compared to the value I added beyond the capital. And that's the opportunity that an angel investor has that's very unique and very special as a culture and influence when investing into a startup, which is what excites me about the work that I do in that space. Love it, man. I think the future's uh, future's so bright with uh, people like you really driving that, driving that change. So look forward to we we need to do another episode, part two, where we get to see, see that. <laughs> everything. You're, that's trying to, you're trying to unpack and catch the gems and say, okay, let's run it back. <laughs> I think I've got a couple of questions, Oliver. I think Same. Got... Yeah, I've Go got ahead. one. This is a little bit more technical, Andy. Um, so sure. in regards to the venture capital space, right? In the last few years, we've seen such a lot of capital in the market. We've seen yeah. it with the public market, the private market, right? A lot of people are now saying that the good time's over due to the risk, the increase of um, debt, interest rate increasing, the cost of capital has started to increase. And we're seeing that a lot of the businesses that had such a large valuation in the previous years, now people are going back and saying, are these companies actually valued mm. correctly, rightly? So for business owners and entrepreneurs, who are planning to get um, investment, venture capital, sort of this year, the years going forward, what are some of the advice that you have for them during this sort of tough time? Because you're seeing sort of companies where they've got a massive burn rate, not having enough capital to to sort of survive during these tough times. Mm. Um, You're seeing companies that were going to get such a large valuation, which like you said before, right, it gives you that, it gives you that space to say, let me not focus about where the next capital, the next money is coming for, and let me actually focus on solving a big problem. So what mm. are some of your advice for sort of those entrepreneurs? Yeah, so there's, there's two or three things I'll, I'll, I'll touch on. First, I'll look at the macro lens, and let's talk about Ray Dalio for a second, because he touches on the relationship between credit cycles and, and debt cycles. I'm not even going to do it justice. Just go on YouTube and type in Ray Dalio credit cycles, because it's really important to understand the financial instruments that govern the world and, and the cycles and patterns of those instruments between each crash. The second thing that's really important is that when we talk about venture capital as a market, it's, it, it represents less than 5% of the private equity market in total, hmm. right? It, it represents less than 1% of the FX market. So it's very small in comparison to other financial markets, okay? And what we saw was that a lot of VCs were investing actually during COVID and then they started to retract because they had to focus on their portfolio that was underperforming. They had to double down on the, the winners in their portfolio who were performing. And they know that there's dry powder ahead, like you just mentioned, because people are not necessarily yeah. investing as much in this asset class. So as a founder, there's really two or three things that are really important to bear in mind. One is that valuations are pretty much fictional. It's like your valuation means nothing until a liquidation event. A liquidation event is when a a startup gets acquired or IPOs, okay? There's a third one called secondary sell, but we won't get into that today. When a startup IPOs is when they get listed on the public stock exchange, is when they sell their shares to the public. So I might have bought shares at 0.5p, 50p, and the public have bought it at £5. So therefore, that difference in appreciation of price per share is the money that I make as an investor. They might have been acquired by Google. Let's say it's an aqua hire because, you know, you've got great technologies, proprietary is unique. You've got great staff. So we're going to buy this startup for 30 million. Founder makes good money. The angel investor makes good money. The VC uh, investor is, not, is very unhappy because they raised the 800 million pound fund and that 30 million is a drop in the ocean compared to what they need in order to return their fund. 
So it's very important to understand the fund dynamics there. So what I've just explained is that a VC's incentives is different to an angel investor's incentives and the founder is in between. So the VC could be telling the founder in that scenario, you're more ambitious, grow your company bigger. There's more in the tank. There's more you could do here. Don't stop now. The angel investor could be saying, this is life-changing money for you. And for me, I'm not going to deny that. Like exit now. You know the difference it will make to your family, the wealth that it creates. You've, you're tired on this road. You need a rest. You'll have a go at a startup maybe in the future. Both of them, to some degrees, are, are both right to a degree. Maybe the founder can be more ambitious. Maybe from the angel perspective, it's true. Maybe the founder's putting enough graft. He's got a young family. Maybe they should stop now. But it's up to the founder to decide what's right for that startup. The second thing is, by starting a business, you're not in this game of entrepreneurship like it's a sport. You're into, into the, the actual business of solving customer problems. So really, during a time like this, the important thing to do is to double down on understanding your customers and spending time with your customers because your customers are your key differentiators. That's the insight that only you have that your competitors don't have because they're your customers. So they're the ones that are going to lead you to solve the right problems for them that enables them to stick around and keep using your products. And if they keep using your products, then there's higher usage and higher revenue for you, which extends your runway. So now is the time to double down and really get to understand what are the, the regular big and frequent problems that my customers are still facing that I could be solving for them, right? So if I was StreamYard and I'm finding that oh, people are creating these rooms with like four or five people, but this was a product built for two people, we're going to spend time with customers and learn how to expand this product so it can be suited for five people because that's where the market's going. That's where my customers are going. And that's what the time is now. The time is now, now to focus and double down on that customer insight and that relationship you have with your customers. That will lead you to a differentiated product, to, to gaining more customers like those customers and actually convincing investors that this person knows what they're doing. This founding team are on the board and have deep insight into their customers and we believe in what they're doing and their ability to execute. Andy, there was something that you, you were saying throughout your your um, the insights that you were sharing, um, and I'm just, you're trying to catch which one that you want to relay back. And one of the, one of them for me that that really resonated, um, and I think it's something that we should all reflect on, is you spoke a lot about privilege. You kept on using that mm. word privilege. Um, mm. And as I was sitting, I was actually thinking about a story that I haven't actually shared before. Um, and what it actually was, and I, it's funny how you still remember certain things that happened when you was much younger, mm. and. When I was around 10 years of age, um, my, my dad's cousin, who's, who's from Africa, had said to me, he looked at me um, and said to me, Pabilo, if I had half the opportunity that you had, I would have really made something of myself. Wow. I was 10. And I didn't understand at the time what he meant, but it, it was a set of words that stuck with me throughout my entire life. And, and I often sit back and think and reflect and say to myself, you know, born on UK soil, the opportunities that we've been given, the chance to be educated, right? Mm. And the things that we're now going on to do to create more impact. I think privilege is something that we should spend more time reflecting on because it mm. is that power. It is that added fuel to make you realize I've got everything in my arsenal to do what I need to do to go and create that impact, solve these problems. So I just wanted to spell that out because I thought, I think that's something that we shouldn't skate over. Um, mm. And I think if we spend more time reflecting on our privilege, we'll realize just how much we've been given to yeah. continue giving and to continue moving forward. So Can I touch on something there as well, Pablo? Please, it's a powerful please. story that you've told. This privilege and oppression is a pendulum. It's, it's two sides of the same pendulum. Yeah. 
So the more privileged that we become, the more I become wealthier, the more privileged, the more access I get to networks, the more responsibility I have to solve the oppressions I'm aware of. I know where I came from. I still have the beginner's mindset. I still understand what it means to grow up as a kid in Tottenham. So I have, it's an honor actually for me to serve and give back now that I'm in the position that I'm in. So when people are asking me, hey, can you come and speak to my church group for 35 people? These kids are 14 to 25 and I come and do it. I come and do it because that is really important to me still, you know, and that's the opportunity that we all have. We all have small opportunities each day, each week to give back in meaningful ways. And you'll be surprised how much a little conversation can have to touch mm. people. And, and what you start to realize at the core of it is actually our biggest privilege is that we have time. And we have time to give. And you notice that when you go and volunteer in old people's homes, some of them just appreciate the fact that, you're, that they have company. Some of them appreciate that you're teaching them something basic, how to use the computer. Some of them appreciate, you know, the fact that you're coming to cook for them. Some, and so sometimes when we talk about mm. privilege, we kind of have to zoom out and think about what were the ways that I could be using my time for others and not just myself. Powerful. The question that I had was actually around um, measuring success. And the work mm. that you're doing is so meaningful. And I'm speaking more so with regards to the angel investing, um, because mm. we can also talk about personal success. The work that you're doing is so meaningful. You're moving minds, you're moving people, um, you know, you're increasing access to capital and opportunities. How have you thought about how you measure success in your work, in your space? Mm. Is it numbers? That's a great question. Is it the feedback? Is it the number of people that you're, you know, pushing forward? So what's, what's been the, the thinking for you? You know, what, what I've realized at my tender age of 60 is that the, the <laughs> feeling of life is the meaning of life, okay? So the feeling of life is the meaning of life. And I, I keep a tracker, a journal. I've been doing it for about seven years now. And I look back every six months to connect the dots and understand what brings me energy and what drains my energy. And I try and optimize and double down on the things that bring me energy and reduce and eliminate the things that, that really drain my energy. And what I've realized in, in doing the tracker for seven years is that like I measure my life actually in decades and not days. I think that makes a big difference because it means that I don't get caught up in the minutiae of, you know, oh, why didn't they call me for that opportunity or why am I not making the money that I need to today or what? Because I'm, I'm looking at, at this impact that we're trying to have in decades and not days, right? So when we talk about 0.2% of black women gain found funding, yeah, over the next two decades, how does that move? 1% gain funding, 5% gain funding, we're making a difference. When I talk about the ancient investing school and the first cohort was 15 people that I ran basically off Twitter, and now we've trained nearly 300 people, I'm like, Phew, we've got a lot of years left in this decade still. I wonder how many other people I can touch. You know, and when they leave the, the school and they're saying, no, Andy, I just want to spend more time with you. I just want more time with you. Like, I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even sure if I'm going to invest into a startup. I'm like, yeah, what I'm touching here is lives. I'm in the business of changing lives, you know, and, and that's where I am at peace right now in that I found the feeling of life. And I know what it feels like to have moments like we're having on this podcast. And I'm, I'm trying to have more of these moments in my everyday life, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where I feel really lucky and fortunate in the work that I do and the fact that, I love what I do, but I, I get to have these feelings all the time. So question for you, Andy. You know, you're clearly impacting lives, shaping lives, and living a purposeful life yourself. You've achieved so much. What's next? What's next for you, Andy? I am. So can I first touch on a fear? I love you lot smiles, by the way. You look got beautiful <laughs> smiles. <laughs> I'm trying to hold on my smiles. Like talk, but I look at you lot smiling. I'm like... <laughs> um, 
so first, I, I want to talk about a bit of a fear of mine, and I haven't figured that out yet fully. So growing up in Tottenham, there's certain transferable skills that I gained, like like the hustle, the grind, like like street smarts and awareness. My daughter's grown up in Essex, different environment, very privileged. I used the word with her already. I remember asking her what her purpose was when she was one as a joke. And, and she goes to a private school and she's inheriting a lot of privileges that I didn't inherit as a child. And navigating that is quite difficult because I don't want her to have certain hardships that I went through. But I do want her to benefit from some of the lessons of the hustle, of the grind, of having to figure things out, of when I've been in like tricky situations where I've had to really like think differently to get out of it and applying that now to the world of work and in service. I haven't fully figured that out yet. She's four years old, so hopefully I have time. But I think like part of that navigating from working class to, to middle class is a lot of us don't have a roadmap or a playbook and we're experiencing a lot of these things for the first time. And it's like, we actually need to talk a lot more with each other to be honest and open around, look, this isn't working out for me. Or why, when we left Tottenham, didn't we move into the same areas together? Why didn't we all stay in Tottenham so that, you know, you could have bought the nursery and this person could have looked after all the kids and we could have had, the, we could have had the group economics of being in the same area. Why didn't we do that? So there's all of these lessons that I'm still learning. And I know you spoke about actually what else is ahead of you, Andy, but there's still so many problems to solve right in front of me right now. That's the honest mm. truth. Mm. That's real. Yeah, Andy, um, I think from all these questions and answers, I feel like you're 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 like our long lost fifth brother of this podcast. <laughs> 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 oh wow. No, this has been a this has been a conversation for the for the ages. And Andy, I think I think thank you for being so transparent and open and just all, all the above. And I think this is a conversation that I personally have taken a lot from, and I know we all have as a group, and I'm going to re-listen to this. A lot, but I think Andy, is there is there anything else on on your side that you wanted to to share before we get into the the quick final five uh, five round? Yeah, I think one one thing that I want to encourage the listeners today listening to this is if you're getting that feeling when you're listening to these stories and this is really appealing to you, just lean in, lean in, lean into yourself, lean into what you're feeling, lean into what you're hearing, and start leaning in because too often when we're in our careers and stuff, we lean out. 60% of our true self, not our most authentic selves. It's time for us to lean in, you know, and there's an opportunity to lean in. And that's what this whole conversation is about. Like lean into your most, most authentic self and live a life where you're a full expression of yourself. And in doing that, you'll be liberating not only yourself, but others too. Powerful words, Andy, powerful words. And I think that's actually perfect. Gives us a perfect segue into leaning in to the final five questions of the podcast. Are you, are you ready? I don't think I am, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Andy, I am. these are the quick fire five rounds, which we ask all of our guests. So question number one, what is the worst piece of advice you've received? The worst piece of advice I've received. I know this is quick fire and this is a long, long thinking time. We got time. We got time. You can't do this. Mm. Anyone that's told me that you can't do something, they've been wrong time and time again. I can do whatever I believe I can do. If I put my mind to it and I put effort to it, I can do it. Just, just a quick sub question to build on that. When was the last time is someone this allowed? said that? Is this allowed? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, you're, you're right. You're right. I'm breaking my own rules. <laughs> question, question, let's, let's question two. Let's go to question two. Let's go to question two. So question two is, uh, Andy, what's the best piece of advice you've received? Oh, direction over speed. Nurture long-term relationships. It's not transactional. Mm. 
I think, you know what? We could, we could translate all of these answers into slogans, put them onto Take Flight Podcast t-shirts and just do a, a 50 split, Andy, if you're up for it. <laughs> uh, but question, question number three, um, what is a piece of content that you're loving at the moment? This could be a book. It could be digital forms of media, something that you're mm, really enjoying. I'm, read, I've, I'm reading a book called Tuesdays with Maury. Wow. About this professor who's dying from ALS and some of the lessons that he's sharing with his, his student who comes back to visit him. Powerful powerful it's a must read for all of you what was the name of it? do you mind repeating that again andy tuesdays with maury tuesdays with maury yeah if anyone wants that book and they can't afford to buy the book tell me i'll send them a free copy only the first five people that come in contact with them <laughs> <laughs> okay perfect thank you andy so then the question number four uh, what is something that you're curious to learn more about at the moment i'm cu- i'm most curious to learn more about what we can create and what I can create as an individual, what we can create as a collective. I'm really curious to know the bounds or the limitations to our, our creativity. Uh, it's what excites me actually and motivating me at the moment. It really excites me when I think about like, it's just going to sound weird, but like starting from scratch, like I'm starting the YouTube channel from scratch. Oh, that's so exciting. It's another new challenge. It's starting from scratch. I've been on that road of consistency before, so I look forward to doing it again. So yeah, that's what's really excites me at the moment. That's what I'm most curious about. Love the love the learning, learning mindset, Andy. And then the the last but not least question. Um, what does take flight mean to you? Continuously learning. Continuously learning. It's a never-ending journey. We're always a student, even if we're teachers. There's been so many mic drop moments in this podcast. So many. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think uh, Andy, just a thank you again. But I'll pass it to uh, to Daniel to 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 any final messages and then to close out. I don't think I even have words. In all honesty, I'm just here silent, just listening. Um, just it's been a, a lovely last sixty minutes, just listening and just really leaning into what Andy's been sharing. Just so much knowledge, so much wisdom wisdom beyond his years and i'm just really grateful thanks again andy for you know joining us on the podcast really being transparent being authentic and just being vulnerable at the same time you know we've learned a lot and i think i'm gonna have to listen back to this episode a couple of times um i've even i've just, i've ordered a book already uh apologies for the for the matters for the, you know for being rude but i had to order that book immediately um it's arriving tomorrow Excellent. but you know on behalf of all of us thank you again and for all of our listeners it goes without saying you've definitely if you've reached the last minute of this podcast you've learned a number of things and you know we're, we're extremely grateful if you have any feedback to share with us on this episode that you'd like us to pass on to andy please share it with us on instagram you can find us at take flight podcast as always stay safe look after one another find this video or this episode on youtube and really just learn a lot from this wise young man please Tune in, stay connected, and we'll join you next week for another fresh episode of Take Flight Podcast. Stay well, God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah. Fool, we never fly away.